Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. It is Tuesday, so I always like talking to Rob Bluey on Tuesdays. He gets our day started. Clay Craby uh, is going to be joining me after Rob, and then Hour 2 is going to be Jeff Dorn. so it's going to be a wonderful show. I've been planning it for you for months, maybe days, maybe hours, hard to say. But Rob Bluey is the executive editor over at The Daily Signal. You probably know that by now, not to repeat myself, but he's uh, my Washington, D.C. correspondent. He's with us on our studio line. Rob, welcome. Thanks, Bill. Hopefully, we have some some new guests listening uh, listening in today. So it's always good to make the introduction and I, remind folks. I agree. All right, I've just been kind of perusing the news, and it seems like the, the, C, the critical race theory being taught in schools, and they're and the parents are fighting back. Oh, you are absolutely correct. The parents certainly are. In fact, as we are having this conversation, uh, I think ground zero for critical race theory in schools is uh, there's a school board meeting taking place not far from where I am in Loudoun County, Virginia, which happens to be the richest county in all of the United States. And it's a place where uh, the school board is under intense uh, fire uh, from parents, uh, not only on the issue of critical race theory, but also on the issue of uh, transgenderism and the fact that uh, they are implementing policies that uh, not only uh, parents are objecting to, but also teachers are now starting to speak out about some of the school district's policies. And so I think it's really healthy that you have parents who are showing up at school board meetings, who are running for school board elections, uh, who have decided that enough is enough. Uh, They've had a front row seat on their children's educations over the past year, and they're not pleased with what they're seeing. Um, and it's not just public schools, Bill. I mean, I think this is happening in private schools, and we we tend to focus on the public schools, but in some cases, it's actually worse in private schools. Um, and so I think regardless of where your kids go to school, you need to be involved and engaged in their education. You need to be making sure that uh, the teachers are are focusing on those core skills that they need to learn and not bringing in these political subjects that are very divisive uh, for our young kids. What do you think Martin Luther King Jr. would say about all this? Well, I uh, just go back to the famous quote, uh, you know, that uh, we should judge people by the content of uh, their character, not by the color of their skin. And critical race theory does the exact opposite. It is uh, promoting discrimination uh, very clearly. Uh, the the literature on this is um, is 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 crystal clear uh, that uh, the wrongs of the past need to be justified by discrimination in the in the future. I, I frankly don't understand that, and I think it's. Um, it, it goes to the exact opposite of the advice that uh, Martin Luther King was was giving us uh, back in, in uh, 1963 and that so many Americans and so many generations have looked to for guidance about how we overcome some of the, the wrongs of the past and, and move forward in a, in a way where we don't have to focus on someone's 
uh, color of their skin or their race um, in everything they do. I think we need to think of ourselves as Americans and stop putting these qualifiers in, in front of uh, in front of everything that we say. And that's how we end up dividing us into these uh, groups. And those groups end up getting pitted against each other. You're even seeing this on the left, Bill, where Lin-Manuel Miranda was forced to apologize. And then somebody who, an actress who came out to defend him was forced to apologize. And this came down to the fact that uh, they were critical of him for not casting uh, dark-skinned Latinos uh, in uh, in his play In the Heights. And I think that uh, when we go down this path, inevitably, the left is going to uh, not stop at any any point. I mean, it's uh, it might be conservatives who are are speaking out right now and some people who, on the left who've had to apologize. But, Bill, I don't like the direction we're heading, and I'm glad to see that so many people are starting to wake up to it and uh, call it out. Rob, is CRT something that's come right out of BLM? Not to use all these abbreviations, but uh, do you yeah. think that's true? <laughs> Well, uh, yes. So just to give your listeners some history, I mean, uh, critical race theory comes from a, an earlier concept known as critical theory, uh, which was developed years ago uh, by, by you know, people who studied Marxism and were believers in, in Karl Marx. Uh, CRT, critical race theory, is uh, derived from the 1970s uh, from academia, where many of these ideas, I think, first, first come about. And it's this idea that uh, the United States um, and our capitalist system is is racist at its core, and the way that um, uh, so much of what we've done throughout our history is is has been a discriminatory, and the, the the way to overcome that is to make race the centerpiece of 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 everything we do going forward, and that's why when when individuals participate in training, either in their workplace or government or now in schools, uh, sometimes the the white participants are told that they need to. Uh, apologize. Uh, they're told um, that they need to, um, you know, take other actions that uh, that that acknowledge that they are privileged. For instance, and uh, when you can imagine uh, telling a kindergartner or somebody who's uh, in elementary school to do some of these things can be quite confusing uh, for them, particularly if they don't necessarily see the color of one's skin uh, when they have a friend. I know that's certainly the case with my own children, and I I hope it's the case with uh, with so many people where we don't let these. Uh, differences that we have uh, divide us, but uh, we see them as a, a unifier, uh, that the American people are a great collective of many different races and ethnicities. I say love your neighbor as yourself. That will help solve a lot of issues. You, you know, I was just thinking about this because, uh, Bill, I, I was thinking about our interview today, and, and I, I, was, I was thinking, if we only go back to the teachings of Jesus yes. and, uh, and, and, and the words of the Bible, I mean, so many of these issues would become moot. Totally, and we, 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 we could, we could, I think, get beyond some of the difficulties yes. and the divisive nature that we find ourselves in. So that's one of the reasons I love talking to you each week is because I feel like we have an opportunity to connect on these issues. And I hope more and more people can, can, can see that. And, and, um, and, and, and whether or not, you know, you, um, you're, you're, you practice your faith, you know, by going to church, I, I don't care how you necessarily do it. If you tune into faith radio and that's, <laughs> that's how you learn but uh, I think you're absolutely correct, Bill, and, uh, and, and that's why I, I feel so moved by, by Jesus' words and, uh, and his actions. Yeah. All right. Big win in the Supreme Court for religious liberty and the Fulton versus Philly case. That was a, a, a nine, nine to nothing vi- uh, victory. 
well, a, a couple of these big cases yeah. coming out with nine nine to zero victories. So we had uh, that one last week, and then of course we can get to the uh, NCAA case, uh, which they was decided yesterday. But you're absolutely correct, Bill. Uh, this was uh, very significant. So it involved a, a Catholic charities in Philadelphia, which uh, the issue here was whether or not um, they had to. Uh, well, well, they were refusing to compromise on their religious beliefs, uh, that marriage is between a man and a woman, and therefore they would only provide um, foster children to uh, – they wouldn't, they wouldn't provide foster children to same-sex couples. And the city of Philadelphia objected to this and said that uh, as a result, they would uh, no longer uh, be using them uh, for the foster care system. Uh, they, they sued, and they won 9 to 0 because the Supreme Court said this is a clear violation of the First Amendment. Uh, there are some who, who wish the court went even farther and, uh, and made crystal clear the, the, the value of the importance of religious liberty in our, in our Constitution. But uh, I'll take it as a win, and I think it was uh, a, a good, healthy sign that, um, that there are still people, uh, regardless of, of their ideology, and obviously we know that the Supreme Court has conservatives and liberals who can come together and agree on this, uh, this fundamental first freedom of ours. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm really glad. I don't, I don't know much about the NCAA case, so if you would talk about that as well, Rob, that would help me, I know, and probably lots of other listeners. Yeah, so we are in, I should say that we're, you know, I think there's 12 cases left. These are always the biggest cases that the Supreme Court uh, decides. They always come at the end of June when uh, the court's term is wrapping up. So we can expect more decisions to be announced tomorrow, again on Friday, and then they may even have some uh, at the beginning of next week. But the one that came down yesterday did involve the NCAA. Uh, the NCAA was, was, was challenged uh, because... Um, the, the NCAA said that, that colleges and universities could not give educational-related gifts to student-athletes. So in, in this case, we're talking about things like uh, computer. Um, uh, you know, we're not, we're not talking about um, – uh, we're thinking about things that, that have monetary value but not necessarily cash payments, if okay. you will. So the Supreme Court said the NCAA cannot uh, operate this way. Uh, there was a swift rebuke, again, 9-0 to zero in this particular case. So all of the conservative and liberal justices coming together um, in this case. And I think the thing that stands out about this is for so many years, we've been uh, hearing these debates about whether or not the NCAA athletes, the college uh, football players, basketball players, you know, should be able to uh, be paid. And I think we might be heading down uh, that path because this was a clear rebuke uh, that uh, the NCAA will need to change its operating model. And uh, you even had uh, Justice Brett Kavanaugh uh, appointed by President Trump. uh, And I'm going to read his quote where he says, nowhere else in America can businesses get away with agreeing not to pay their workers a fair market rate on the theory that their product is defined by not paying their workers a fair market rate. <laughs> so here is a conservative justice uh, who is, is, is taking the side of the athletes. And I think that that's uh, an ominous sign for the NCAA and hopefully a good sign for, for those student athletes who obviously give a great deal, Bill, um, you know, to, uh, to their athletic performance and to their universities, which we know make millions of dollars in some cases off of their performance and, uh, and get zero um, out of it in, in hopes of, you know, getting a, a professional gig in the NBA or NFL. But we know that that's uh, a small number of people who end up making it that far. Mm-hmm. Rob Blue is my guest. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, Rob, I'm going to ask you about how we're doing in terms of holding China responsible for the COVID pandemic if in fact they are responsible we'll be right back with lots more 
Back with Rob Bluey, executive editor of The Daily Signal. And Rob, right before break, I was curious about what's being done to hold China responsible for COVID if, in fact, there is a reason to do it. Well, there's there's a bit of a debate in Congress about this right now. Republicans would like to see uh, Congress, particularly some of the committees that are charged with oversight over coronavirus and were given some some new powers in the in the wake of the pandemic uh, take a more assertive role so there is a select subcommittee on the coronavirus crisis and and obviously there's an oversight committee in congress uh, but the democrats who run those committees have basically said that they're going to defer to president biden and the intelligence community to do the work and uh and they've given president biden has given the intelligence community a deadline of august 24th uh, to to complete that work and report back to him. So we probably will be waiting a couple more months, Bill, uh, before we get uh, the official report. But I think that, um, you know, it's really interesting that uh, we're... <laughs> Congress usually wants to have its hands in everything. This is one area where they seem to be deferring to the executive branch. So uh, a curious choice on the part of uh, James Clyburn and Carolyn Maloney there. But uh, but what do we know so far? Well, we, we know that um, we had a situation early on in the outbreak where uh, these uh, this idea that it leaked out of a lab was summarily dismissed to the point where social media companies were even suppressing speech with regard to, to that idea. And uh, now we have the... the Leader of the free world, President Biden, suggesting that that's a possibility. And so I think we need uh, more intelligence. We need more information before we can make a clear and uh, complete conclusion. But what we do know is the um, there are new variants. This, this Delta variant of uh, coronavirus uh, appears to be gaining steam. Uh, there is concern that um, you know it could uh, see an uptick in the United States. And uh, I think that those are all worthwhile things for us to be paying attention to and and following. Um, Even though we've made tremendous progress, uh, we don't necessarily uh, want to uh, start giving up some of those best practices. And I'm talking about some of the basic things now, Bill, like washing your hands and being careful um, in in public settings uh, that would lead us to a situation where we have an uptick and and more people are getting sick. After all, 600,000 Americans have lost their life uh, to COVID-19. It seems worthwhile for us to investigate and making sure that this uh, doesn't happen again. Mm -hmm. When I originally heard of, and I think you did as well, that it was from the mishandling of of a a bat in a wet market or somehow it got on a worker that got infected. So if that was true, Rob, wouldn't all the wet markets be kind of closed? Wouldn't the world say, look at no more wet markets because this can't happen again? Exactly. You would think that there would be greater steps in that regard. Um, But as we know, Bill, I mean, China was up and running well before we were in the United States. I mean, and obviously they had a much more stringent um, uh, policy in place when it came to requiring people to lock down and and that we know that they are a totalitarian society where we're a free society and we don't necessarily uh, support those kind of measures. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's certainly troubling. And I think that even more troubling is the fact that the Chinese have not been forthcoming with this from the very beginning. And so they've, they've let uh, rumors and other ideas spread like this. Uh, and they, they didn't alert others around the world uh, to the problems that they were experiencing in their own country. And as we even even discovered after the fact, I mean, there were cases of coronavirus in our country long before March of 2020. Uh, there could have been could have been here as early as December of 2019. And so, uh, you know, you've hear, heard those stories anecdotally, but now there's some some evidence that suggests that uh, that may have been the case. Mm-hmm. Rob, Pastor uh, 
James Ward, I think he's in Skokie, Illinois, he's um, made some interesting insights about overcoming victim mentality. I'd love for you to talk about that. That's at the Daily Signal uh, right now, and you wrote the story. That's right. I had a chance to interview Pastor Ward last week. He made a visit to uh, the Museum of the Bible in, in Washington, D.C., and stopped by the Heritage Foundation to see our President Kay James. And and he spoke to us on the podcast about his new book. It's called Zero Victim, Overcoming Injustice with a New Attitude. And Pastor Ward um, is, a, is, a, is a black man. Um, he is uh, uh, the, um, the pastor of a church uh, that, uh, that serves the mother of uh, Jacob Blake Jr., who is the young man who was shot. Uh, in the back uh, in Kenosha, Wisconsin. And he tells that story about how uh, Julia Jackson, uh, Jacob Blake's mother, and him came together last year in August after that shooting when, when Kenosha was experiencing so much violence and rioting. And they tried to have a different message. And they, 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 they rejected this, this narrative of victim mentality that so often overtakes Black Lives Matter and other groups. And, um, and he said he's not a victim. Um, he said that he learned that from an early age. He goes back to his third grade class when he helped integrate a school in Tuscaloosa, Alabama, where, um, you know, he said that from the very beginning of his life, uh, and you mentioned Martin Luther King earlier, he said Martin Luther King was not a victim. And he just, he just rejected that mentality. And he said that all Americans need to, need to do that. And he sees that as the way that you overcome some of the injustices in our, in our society. So I thought it was a really hopeful message. Uh, love the things he's doing with, uh, with his church uh, there in uh, North Chicago. And I think we need more people like him speaking out uh, to others to hopefully uh, change their mindset and give them hope about where we can go in the future. Yeah, I love that he says, you know, we're not calling for hatred. We're not calling for destruction. We're calling for peace and speaking the love of God over the city. And it went viral. Good. It should have gone viral. It did. And, you know, the amazing thing is, and they, these are the, some of the things you just never hear about from, from the news media. He right. said he was on the phone with President Trump. Um, he, he was on the phone with Jacob Blake's mother one minute, and he was on the phone with Tr- President Trump the next minute. He was providing, you know, support and guidance to to our president uh, at the time as, as all of this was happening. And I, I think that it just goes to show the power of, of our community, of, of our faith. Um, and there are things that can happen. Uh, the sad part is I don't think many people probably know the aftermath of Jacob Blake because he's not necessarily been as outspoken. He did survive the shooting. He's paralyzed from the waist down and in a wheelchair. Uh, but I hope um, that someday soon we'll begin, we'll begin to hear his story. I think it's incredibly powerful, and I appreciate Pastor Ward um, starting to tell uh, this, this this different narrative and and hopefully convincing people that there's a better way uh, than than turning to violence. Yeah, Rob, did Pastor Ward on a practical level have some things to uh, for parents to discuss with their kids? Well, absolutely. And and like I said earlier uh, in, in the interview, Bill, I mean, I think it's so important whether uh, the parents ha- have an active role. So, I mean, it's not only Pastor Ward's advice, but right. I think it's also uh, my advice. Um, I mean, that is uh, that is something that that every parent can begin to do, um, you know, right, right away. But yes, I think as, uh, as specifically for parents, he said, you know, when it comes to, to teaching them about, um, about morals and, and the law and everything that goes with it, um, he says, you know, we just have to remember that the fundamentals of faith are, are strong. And, uh, he's calling for people to, to turn to those biblical principles, and not some of the other 
dark avenues that they could go down in our in our society. And I think too often uh, we've seen that people resort to that. I mean, it was it was last year was a uh, the, the entire summer was marred by so many incidents. In fact, um, you you still see the scars in Washington D.C. on the on the streets of of what happened. And so. I, I hope people will get that message, Bill, and I, I hope that, that Pastor Ward is able to, to reach a, a large number of people um, with, uh, with this message, uh, the young, the old, um, and, and everybody, uh, regardless of the, your, your skin color, because I think that uh, it's a message that's applicable to everybody. Mm-hmm. Rob, what are you hearing in Washington on the border situation? Well, uh, we're not hearing enough, that's <laughs> for sure. Uh, the vice president uh, refuses to visit the border, despite the fact that the, the number of apprehensions continues to go up, uh, hitting nearly a million. Uh, month after month, we have seen record numbers. Um, former Homeland Security Secretary Chad Wolf, who's now a visiting fellow uh, at the Heritage Foundation, uh, just uh, I saw him last week, and he was telling me that if they had you know, 40,000, 50,000 people that they were apprehending. That was a high number during the Trump administration uh, in years past. And now we are sometimes, you know, uh, three times as, as many or more. And that is, um, that is just uh, incredible uh, to think about uh, how many people are being taken into custody. And I think the other big issue, Bill, is uh, whether or not uh, the Biden administration goes through with its plans to repeal Title 42. And Title 42, we were just talking about COVID, uh, allowed the government to send people back to Mexico if they were um, were found to have um, a communicable disease. Uh, this is part of the. Uh, this has long been part of our immigration uh, policy in the United States, and obviously we want to protect the American citizens, uh, and we don't want to bring new cases of COVID into our country. So we are, uh, you know, a humanitarian people, and we do uh, allow a great number of immigrants to come to our country. But I think we need to have sensible policies in place as well. And uh, this has been one of the ones that I think has really helped us um, get a handle on the, the virus. And uh, for the Biden administration to repeal it, I think, is a, a short-sighted move. Rob, how do people feel about the, their state's efforts to improve the integrity of the election process? Well, there's been a lot of debate about it, and we're seeing it right now. I mean, uh, any moment, the U.S. Senate is uh, set to begin voting on the uh, the S-1 uh, for the People Act, the misnamed for the People Act. Uh, I think it more, more serves the politicians. And one of the reasons they say is that they want to give the federal government more control. They want the federal government to, to take over our elections as opposed to letting the states run them. Uh, this would have big implications on everything from voter ID, which is quite popular. 75% of Americans support voter ID. Uh, the, the S-1 bill would, um, would create taxpayer-funded elections, so it would allow the incumbents who are currently in Washington to get millions of dollars in taxpayer support um, for their campaigns. And this is a debate that you see playing out right now. Should mm-hmm. the states have more control or should the federal government? And Bill, I'd rather have the local local government uh, have more power in this case than, than the federal government. Yeah, I agree. Rob, thanks so much for being on the show. Always great to talk to you. Thanks, Bill. Have you a good bet. day. You bet. Rob Louie's been my guest, executive editor at The Daily Signal. I like to think of him as my go-to guy in Washington, D.C., We'll take a break. When we come back, uh, Clayton Cravey is going to be joining me. He's got a uh, website about reasonable theology. It's all about presenting sound doctrine in plain language. We'll be right back.
So there are plenty of Christians that, that spend very little time studying doctrine and theology. I would not say that about Faith Radio listeners. I think they spend a lot of time studying doctrine and theology, but it's nice that you've got resources, places to go. Uh, reasonabletheology.org uh, is a website by uh, Clayton Craby, and he really wants to help everyday believers study theology every day, which is a good goal. And he really wants to present sound doctrine in plain language. So it's always nice to have him on the show. He lives in Grand Forks, uh, Nodak. He's a pastor, and nice to have him back. Clayton, welcome. Thanks so much for having me back. Oh, I it's called you Clayton. You. I meant to call you Clay. That's okay. Uh, my legal name is Clayton, so you're not in the wrong. Yeah, but I feel like I'm not as friendly if I call you Clayton. But I, I think of you more as Clay. I, I like it. I prefer it anyways. And your mom calls you what? Sweetie. <laughs> I ain't going there, Clay. I'm going to stick to Clay. <laughs> so all right. Clay. <laughs> all right. Well, I was uh, looking on your website, and you had a very interesting story on spiritual pathfinders, light, lights in the midst of darkness. And I thought, hmm, interesting, because it looks like a bunch of people, guys from World War II. That was the picture, so it caught my attention. And they were a bunch yeah. of paratroopers. Yeah, absolutely. So one of my my interests outside of, you know, uh, theology and, and, you know, church history and those sorts of things, I've always been interested in history, uh, particularly interested in World War II history, and uh, that driving deeper, like many other people, um, the history surrounding Operation Overlord or D-Day invasions in mm-hmm. Normandy, France. Uh, and with that, anyone who has seen, for example, uh, Saving Private Ryan or the Band of Brothers miniseries is familiar with that and the role that that paratroopers had to play not only in that famous battle but throughout World War II. And so one of the interesting things that that came out of that is you've got paratroopers, which were a, a new military tactic, jumping out of airplanes. But what was happening from the start of the war is they are landing very far away from their objectives. When this happened in Sicily in 1943, some of the paratroopers landed 65 miles away from where they were supposed to land. Uh, it, it took weeks to get back to the Allied line. So obviously that's, a, that's not a small problem if they can't land in proximity where they're supposed to land to their objective, they're really rendered ineffective. So to solve this problem, the military created the Pathfinders. And what Pathfinders were, it was a special group of specially trained paratroopers who would jump out early. They would jump out ahead of the rest of the force, and once they landed, their job was to set up the drop zone. They're they're to mark it with signal beacons or flares, and very often it would be these special lanterns that were visible from the air, so both the pilots and the other paratroopers knew exactly where they needed to land. And so in the midst of all of the darkness and the chaos and the fear and the danger, that light provided a way for others to head in the right direction. And I find that to be just a wonderful analogy of what the Christian life is supposed to be. We are to be lights in the midst of darkness, pointing others to where they need to go, and that's to Jesus Christ. 
You know, Clay, I thought you were going somewhere with a spiritual application, and you've intrigued me because this is exactly uh, a great illustration of where we need to be versus where we're uh, jumping out and landing. So say more. Absolutely. And, and this, uh, this type of illustration is, is not, you know, me being clever. We see often in Scripture where we are called to be lights or, or light mm-hmm. uh, is used as a metaphor and how we're supposed to, to shine forth for others, that sort of thing. One of the main ones that comes to my mind and that I tie in with that article is the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 14 to 15, which says, Do all things without complaining and disputing that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. And what I take from that, and, and another passage which we can get it to in a moment, but we are supposed to live in such a way that our lives shine as a light and draw others to Jesus Christ and his gospel. I love that. It's a, I love that passage in Philippians, too, and it's such a powerful reminder to do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God. And it is a crooked and perverse generation that we're in, and we do need to be salt and light in the world. I, I just love this imagery that you've drawn this comparison to with the, the paratroopers. It's really lovely. And it really is a dark world, and I think... People are increasingly seeing that with our culture. It's it's increasingly not only apathetic towards uh, the things of God, but really getting to a point where it's hostile towards the things of God, which which brings in even uh, more parallels to to that paratrooper analogy, where they're jumping in not only into the darkness but into hostility. Yeah, and it's it's interesting when we think of. Jesus Christ. We think that he is the light of the world, and he is. But what was it that he said to his followers? He said, you are the light of the world in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you, his followers, are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others— so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So here we see the light of the world, which is Jesus Christ, telling us and referring to us as lights. And and we reflect his light. We reflect his glory to others. Uh, and it's our privilege. It's our duty to draw others towards that light and point them to Jesus. So where are we to shine? That's kind of a big question, and I know you'll you'll have the perfect answer. Right, and you look back at that Philippians uh, passage in chapter 2. Mm-hmm. We are in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. We are not meant as Christians to kind of uh, hole up together and and not interact with the world at all. We're supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. And that means you are to shine wherever you are, whether that's work or school or in your family, in your communities, even if those places are difficult places. We are in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation. It is increasingly hostile to the things of God, and that's exactly where God wants us to shine, because the darker it is, the brighter that light shines out. So that's not a reason or an excuse for us to hide our light under a basket, as Jesus said, 
but rather to let it shine out. Because in the deepest darkness, that light shines out all the brighter. We don't want to hide it when it becomes difficult. When truth is being condemned, we need to shine out. And when when sin and error are being celebrated, we must shine. And, and when those who refuse to celebrate sin are themselves condemned, as we see in our culture today, we need to shine out. That's what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. Clay Cravey is my guest. His website is Reasonable Theology. So, Clay, what I want to, what I'm reminded of is uh, God wants us to be light in the world, and He calls us uh, to be set apart. And I think there was some theologian that said, uh, if you've got light outside, you're going to see bugs because they gravitate <laughs> toward the light. Sure. So, um, I think we have to be prepared for the persecution and for the difficulties and the challenges that come along with being light in the world. Absolutely. And and Jesus did not hide that, did he? We no. see it often in the gospel. In this life, in this world, you will have tribulations. Jesus never taught, and the Apostle Paul didn't teach, and the other biblical authors didn't teach, hey, if by chance you somehow maybe accidentally incur <laughs> some wrath from this world, mm-hmm. here's how to act. No, it's always when, it's always you will be persecuted. Yes. yes. And I think one of the struggles that we as the church, you know, using the broad sense, the church particularly in the West, have fallen into is that it has been rather comfortable, convenient, and easy to be a believer for many decades. And that is swiftly changing. And and Christians need to be aware that even if you only try to live, you know, a quiet life of faithful obedience and you're not out there on the street corner, you know, with a sign and a megaphone, you will increasingly be seen as someone who is uh, radical and hostile and you'll be seen as bigoted. All those things will happen. If you're going to shine as lights in the midst of darkness, you will be persecuted, attacked. They'll try to push you out of the public square. That's already happening now to some extent, and I truly believe it's going to become even worse as as the days go on. Yeah. How have you been at doing this? Do you have pretty thick skin? Because there are a lot of people go, I've, I feel a little thin-skinned. I mean, if people start not liking me, I'm not going to like that. And that is the difficulty. Uh, I've I've gotten thicker skin, you know, as as I've matured, I wouldn't say that I would describe myself as someone who has particularly thick skin. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote for the school newspaper when I was in college, and, and a lot of people thought differently and, and wrote things in, so that, that helped me over the years to to start to toughen up a bit. And then uh, as you go on, different parts of your life will, will help you get thicker skin. But one thing that I have found, and I, I can't recall which pastor or preacher or theologian I read it from, but I found helpful— was that your fear of God has to be greater than your fear of man. That is the solution for not wanting to be uh, obedient when it is difficult. Your fear of God has to be greater than your fear of man. And so if you cultivate that, if you cultivate through a study of who God is, his holiness, his sovereignty, his perfection, his omnipresence, his omniscience, all those things, get a, a healthy, right vision of who God is and your fear of man will diminish as you have that reverent awe and respect for our Creator. Clay, I love the idea that we would challenge ourselves to become spiritual pathfinders, to be that light, to be that way that's uh, pointing others to Christ, and to try to put our own personal egos aside and say, it's not about me, it's about Jesus, and that's where my allegiance is. 
And that's the thing that people need to remember. And so there's many examples someone could come up with of, of where being a Christian out in public is going to get you in trouble. And the society increasingly wants us to simply be Christians in the privacy of our homes or maybe in our churches. But beyond that, they're really uh, uncomfortable with that and will push back. And what we need to start getting uh, comfortable with is the fact that we are going to get pushed back against and how are we going to respond. And the time for preparing yourself for that is not when it's happening, uh, but you need to be mentally prepared for that now because that's increasingly going to be the case. Mm-hmm. As I go back to uh, Philippians two fourteen and 15, and where it says, do all things without complaining and disputing. Can you flunk a Bible verse? I think I Can might I? have flunked that one. <laughs> just, just in terms of complaining uh, back and seeing how <laughs> how easy it is to to complain. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, and and really, that's one of the things that are being addressed in kind of a list of of how we are to live out our faith. And and before that, the apostle speaks about working out our own salvation and working out what God works in you. And while that can be an area where we we do often feel like we're flunking, uh, that is an area that by God's Spirit and His grace, we can increasingly uh, have victory over that, and we want to make sure that we are acting in such a way that we are being good reflectors of Jesus Christ's character. Because remember, when we're called Christians, all that really means is little Christ-like ones. Mm -hmm. We want to pursue Jesus so closely that when people look at us, they are reminded of him. Yeah. Clay, I like the fact you keep the main thing the main thing. Uh, Clay Craby is my guest. His website is reasonabletheology.org. We'll take a short break and be right back. Lord I'm back with Clay Craby. He's has a website called Reasonable Theology. That's reasonabletheology.org. He really wants to present sound doctrine in plain language, which, Clay, you do well. You speak clearly. You even enunciate well. So I'm impressed, just so you know. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Enunciation is very important. So a great line by in your uh, blog here from Irish evangelist Gypsy Smith that once said, there are five Gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the Christian. And some people will never read the first four. Absolutely. And as the followers of Jesus, we will be read by those around us. So live lives worthy of being God's children, and you will shine as lights in the midst of darkness. That's from reasonabletheology.org. Clay wrote that, so I want to make sure he gets the credit because it's uh, well stated. Yeah, thank you. And it's something that we always need to remember is we are being watched by those around us, whether they be close relationships, a coworker, or 
maybe a family member who's not a believer. There, there's like these concentric circles of relationships that we all have going to your, your neighbor whose first name you know, but you're not that confident, so you just wave at them and say, hey, guy, uh, to uh, you know, people that you just run into often. And all of those people, when they know that you are a Christian, they're, they're paying attention, even if it's not all that conscious on their mind. They're paying attention to see how you act and how you live, and that impacts how they view Christians, how they view the church, how they view Scripture, and how they view Jesus and God and the gospel, all of those things. And we must keep that in mind, not that we'd be in a state of you know, almost anxiety that we're being watched all the time, but we must be cognizant of the fact that we are being read in that sense by those around us. And we want to live lives in a way that are honoring to Christ and that really do shine as lights. And, and lights are uh, things that people are attracted to in the darkness. But we also, as we've already talked about, if someone wants to remain in darkness, for their deeds are evil, as we see in Scripture, that light is going to be seen as offensive. And that's that tension that we have living in this fallen world. You know, Clay, I'm, I'm, you've got me fascinated, too, about these pathfinders, these paratroopers that would— uh, jump early, and they would create the landing space for the others. It must have been a horribly dangerous time, and they're probably uh, more oftentimes alone and putting their lives at really greater risk. Definitely, and if you remember, uh, there is a line in in that Band of Brothers miniseries, and, and one of the uh, troopers is talking to Dick Winters, who is is the main leader throughout that series, and they refer or they refer to their situation as they're they're going to be surrounded, and his reply is, "We're paratroopers, sir. We're supposed to be surrounded." <laughs> but in that sense, they're jumping all together. They have uh, their you know depending on the size of the operation, they've got these different. Uh, parachute infantry regiments that are jumping. You think of D-Day or Market Garden where there's massive things. But then you've got these smaller units that are going ahead, hours ahead. Uh, I believe on the D-Day invasion in Normandy, you know, they're going many hours ahead of to set up these beacons and flares and all these things. So not only are they surrounded like the rest of their, you know, brothers in arms, but they're also vastly outnumbered even compared to those that are going to be jumping behind them in a few hours' time, they're really in a difficult position. So I want to explore a little bit about light when, you know, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. And there are a couple of different types of light in the world. Um, there's the, you know, the, the physical light we see, and then the, the light that we have inside of us, our spiritual life, which is the life and the light that we need to show. Right. And so when you think of a, a verse like John eight twelve, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Mm -hmm. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And clearly he's talking about the, the light that he brings, that, that light that casteth out darkness. Um, so if you start thinking about that from a spiritual standpoint, you start to see that analogy, that metaphor where, where darkness is, is sin and evil and fallenness, and light is really getting equated with uh, righteousness, holiness, eternal life. And that's that juxtaposition. And just how when you bring in a candle or a lantern or a flashlight into a dark room, 
how immediately that that darkness goes away from it. Well, the same is true in terms of coming to Christ and and then putting your faith in Him. That light and that darkness can't coexist in the same space. Just as God is too holy to be with sin, and and so that can't coexist. When we are in Christ, we now have that light of life, and that's what he offers to us in the gospel. Yeah, when Jesus says that we'll never walk in darkness, I I also understand that really to be a, a reference to the assurance of our salvation. We're not dead in our sin. We're not living in darkness. We're we're living in light because of what Christ has done on the cross. Right, and you'll see that same theme picked up uh, elsewhere in the New Testament where it talks about how, you know, we shouldn't walk in darkness, and there it's referring to because we have the light of life, we ought not live as if we don't. We ought not live how we used to live when we weren't in Christ. So basically— be done with, put away, uh, put to death the sin that remains in you so that you can walk lie, walk as those worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Yeah. And of course, Clay, a great reminder that we should always be ready to give an account of the hope that we have, because that's what the gospel is. If we have the gospel light in us, like the passage says, it's not to be covered. Yes, and that actually, that verse that, that you mentioned there from First Peter, that's a really helpful way to balance this out, because we've already talked about how if you are a light in the midst of darkness, people are going to take offense, people are going to want to, uh, as the old kids song, they want to blow it out. Um, <laughs> mm-hmm. That is going to happen. But that doesn't mean that we live in such a way we are attempting to give offense, that is not our goal. We recognize that we will give offense, and, and fine. If people are offended by truth, they're offended. I'm not going to change truth for that. But it's not my goal to be offended. So in that first Peter, it goes on to say, you know, give a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. So we're to live obediently. We're to speak the truth in love. But we do so in a way that leaves us blameless and innocent. And if they take offense, let them be offended by the gospel and not our conduct. Mm-hmm. So we, we want the good works of Christ and the, the work that Christ is doing in us. We want those to shine for people to see uh, because there's no more powerful testimony than, than transformed lives. Amen. And I just heard someone say, and and if I could remember where I heard it, I'd give credit where credit is due. But if we are going to proclaim that we have a life-changing truth, we need to show that we have had our lives changed. And it's very difficult, similar to that evangelist uh, Gypsy Smith quote we mentioned a little bit earlier in the conversation. If we are not living as those whose lives have been changed by the light of the gospel, it's very difficult at the same time to turn and tell those around us that we have something that will change their lives. Mm-hmm. They're watching and they won't believe us. I think of that old line, Cray, you know, what you're doing speaks so loudly, I can't hear what you're saying. So we do, exactly. need, we do need to have lives that demonstrate love and kindness and patience and, um, and show people that you're a different person, you're a transformed life. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And, and of course, that always gets into that balance between uh, our our faith in Christ and then our good works. And as long as we make sure that we're always maintaining that proper order of the root is our faith in Christ and the fruit of that is our good works by which we let others see the light and come to it, we're, we're on the right track. Mm-hmm. So let me just let listeners know, if you head over to reasonabletheology.org, you'll find all kinds of uh, good reading. You'll find uh, lots of uh, simple uh, doctrines spoken in plain language. And if you've enjoyed Clay, you should head over there, check it out. And that's reasonabletheology.org. Clay, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me back on. Always enjoy talking to you. Yeah, and uh, blessings to you and your family. Same to you. Thanks so much. Thanks so much. Once again, Clay Craby has been my guest, and his website is reasonabletheology.org. We'll take a little break. When we come back, boy, we've got hour two just ahead. We're going to spend that hour with my friend and Bible teacher and mentor, Jeff Ferdorn. He's got a special little addendum to the series on end times. You're going to love it. I'm going to love it. I can hardly wait. Be right back. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.